Please always consult with your physicians prior to making any changes to your treatment plan. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety, the cancer podcast, a podcast geared to help you navigate the pediatric cancer world. As a mother of a child who battled a soft tissue sarcoma for over a year, your host, Rosaria Kozar, understands and will help guide you through your journey. She brings the knowledge of experts, families, survivors, and other organizations tied to the pediatric cancer world to your doorstep. Her mission is to inform, support, and promote hope for you and your family. This is where hope lives. This is where hope thrives. Together as one. I think what 10-year-old, even 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, even now, me needs to hear is that this is undeniably so challenging. Like, you can't prepare for this. No one can prepare for this. Hi, this is Rosaria and welcome. Today I have with me Camille and we're going to be talking about relapse, something that is very important for you to be aware of and understand what the emotions and feelings are behind it. And I have Camille on today because she was diagnosed at 10 years old and relapsed a total of four times now. She is an amazing individual who I had the chance to meet in person but prior to this interview. And she is so open and candid. And I think I know you will get a huge benefit, not just out of her story, but about the ins and outs of the emotional aspects of relapse. So welcome to the show, Camille. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And you know, I just want to applaud you on your strength to come on. And before we get into the emotional aspects of relapse, can you share with us your story? Yeah, so when I was 9 or 10 back in 2012, um, I basically was at the peak of my Irish dance career. I was going to classes three to four times a week. I was training for our regional competition Um, And I started to feel a pain in my leg. And I thought, oh, that's that's weird. Maybe it's just a dancer's injury, shin splints or something. Um, Which seemed reasonable with all of the intense training I was doing. Um, And eventually that pain turned into a bump. And the pain just got so unbearable that I wasn't dancing as well as I used to. And I finally told my parents and... I got an x-ray, which led to an MRI, and then a bone biopsy, and the results came back, and they told us that I had osteosarcoma of my right tibia that had already spread to my lungs. So I immediately started the most intensive chemotherapy regimen in the books and had multiple surgeries, and I finished my year-long chemotherapy intensive treatment in 2014 when I was 11. Um, And I thought uh, that this was pretty much all behind me. Um, Unfortunately, that was not the reality. I 
had a relapse of my disease in 2015, 2016, 2017, and most recently, um, March of 2020. So cancer has pretty much been a part of my life ever since I was 10, and it's impacted me in a lot of ways. I'm so sorry that you had to experience all of this. It's just so wrong on so many levels. And at the same time, you're such a warrior for getting through this. And I admire that so much. And in terms of getting through it, oftentimes people use words like, I have a tribe and they helped me through it. Did you have a tribe? And does that resonate the term tribe within you for sure like there are so many different people who are in my tribe and it's not just my oncologist and nurses and the hospital staff it's really to me it's mostly my family and friends and teachers and even like camp counselors they've definitely changed across the years from when I was 10 um but I think that's that change is good and the bonds that I've made with so many people are just so deep. And like, honestly, I don't think I could get through this fight alone if it wasn't for everyone that's with me all the time. What would you say is the most important support system? Um, I think definitely for me, it's friends. Um, And finding the balance between having friends who are like school friends and they are healthy, so to say. Um, And also what's really healing for me is um, getting to know people who have been through similar experiences, not just necessarily cancer, but anyone with like a chronic illness who knows the ins and outs of waking up and wondering like, is today going to be a good day symptom wise or like, having kind of the same fears of like not knowing what might happen. Um, And kind of on the same line of having a tribe, um, there's this amazing camp that I went to um, pretty much since I was diagnosed um, called Camp Hole in the Wall. And that really, really changed my life. Um, Getting to know kids who have survived cancer or who are going through it and other medical illnesses those are some of the tightest bonds that I've ever made like going to that camp has honestly changed my outlook on life um and then my healthy friends are definitely a good distraction and they help me have a sense of normalcy in my life because I think so often I'm consumed by the like oh, I am sick, I have cancer, this like mentality that I'm not normal and I'm an outcast, but I have so many close friends that definitely make that go away when I'm with them. It's good to hear that uh, out of all this madness that you're going through right now, that you have supportive friendships and like you said, going back to the tribe, but also you have escapes like, hole in the wall, the camp, and they provide you with a good time and escape from what you're experiencing. And you also brought up side effects. Now, like I've said, I've met you before. 
I know you're in AP and honors classes. How do you manage that with the side effects of chemotherapy? It is a challenge. It is really, really hard. And I, I'm not coming on here to say that I'm perfect at it. I'm definitely not. And um, it's, it's a hard balance. But I think most importantly, um, something that's really helped me is keeping the line of communication with my school open. And also having a 504 plan has helped tremendously. Um, just to let teachers know, like, this is the situation, like I have cancer, I'm on a, a medication, like these are my side effects. And I found that most teachers are incredibly understanding and compassionate and want to help and will give me extensions and will let me take tests in a separate setting or have extended time. So yeah, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest at it, but also being a good student and like focusing on my education, it gives me something else to think about that isn't my illness. I'm glad that you have that escape. Like we talked about that pretty much throughout the whole interview that you have your tribe and you have your quote unquote healthy friends and other uh people helping you out, kind of giving you that sense of normalcy. It seems like school does that too. With the 504 plan, if you don't know what that is and you have ability and access to get it, talk to your school district. Uh, it is a moderate educational intervention where a student has adaptations in order to meet requirements academically. So that said... If you have a 504 plan, I'm assuming you go to school when you're nauseous or have side effects. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Um, it's a lot of Zofran, a lot of Tums. And I keep that in my bag. And I pretty much try and go to all my classes. Um, um, it's it's really, really hard. And I've had to build, I've built in like some um, study block type things where I can just rest, um, if I need to, or do homework so I don't have to later. Um, but yeah, kind of no breaks for me. If I'm feeling nauseous, I really just have to push through and try and get my education. Wow. That's amazing. And upon graduation, what do you expect to do? What's your dream? After everything that happened, I can't dance anymore, unfortunately. But um, really going through all this hardship has caused me to find my true calling in life, and that's to help people. Um, like in school, I started a club my freshman year that fundraises for an incredible organization called Family Reach. Um, and they help families that are dealing with financial burdens due to cancer, like they can pay for like the necessities or medical bills and medication costs that sometimes it's just impossible for families to make up. Um, so they helped my family when we were struggling and um, I started this club and truly it's just been so eye opening both to 
make a difference and raise funds for this organization. We've raised almost $5,000 over the past three years and also to educate my peers about something that's important and seeing their passion for it too is really, really inspiring. So I hope to major in education and possibly do a theater minor because that's something I'm also passionate about. Um, and yeah, just overall to help people through hard times. Yeah. I admire you so much. You are a true warrior too. Uh, going to school with symptoms. I mean, I, I would, I, I admire you so much, a true warrior. And you said that you did dance and you can't anymore. And I remember in previous conversations, we talked about uh, limb salvation versus amputation can you talk to that a little bit why you chose limb salvation and would you have kept it that way what that means to you yeah for sure so my original tumor was in my right tibia um so basically the surgical options were either um a below the knee amputation or limb salvage surgery and there were drawbacks and positives to each of these options. Um, with um, the amputation, I would be able to run and jump and do high-impact activities with a prosthetic. Um, however, with the limb salvage surgery, I wouldn't be able to do that. So basically, I couldn't run, jump, or ultimately do dance, which it was a very, very very hard loss. Um, and looking back, I am very happy with my decision. Um, my leg definitely was a bigger problem in the past, um, with screws literally snapping in half, um, in my leg. I don't really know how that happens, but it did. Um, another hardware failure. I've had a bunch of surgeries and revisions for that. And, that was really hard and it was painful to walk. And I, I just remember some days thinking like, Oh my God, I just wish I could get an amputation. I wish I had done that and made that decision. But today, like right now it's finally healed completely. Like a couple weeks ago, I actually got an x-ray and my surgeon told me that my leg is actually completely healed. And it's like in the process of forming new bone and they never thought that could happen um it's like literally just like fusing together which is crazy so um I'm able to slide by some of the previous um like no high impact restrictions so I definitely do dance and like musicals and stuff and right now I'm obsessed with going on hikes with my friends and I can do these things with like basically little to no pain after so yeah, I am very happy that I chose Limb Salvage. That's that's good. I'm happy that you're happy. And I see the smile. You guys can't see it because you can't see the camera, but she is beaming right now. So that's so good to hear. And we're talking about some of the good things. Now, I, I just want to know... Um, not like I want to move on to the bad stuff, but scanxiety, that's going to be super real for you. I mean, super real. So do you want to tell us about that? Yes. Um, 
Scanxiety is such a real thing for me. Um, and unfortunately, I've really had to experience very, very intense Scanxiety. Um, in my earlier treatment days, it really wasn't too bad. Um, I remember 11-year-old me finishing chemo and thinking like, oh my gosh, it's over. I'm a survivor. I'm never going to have to go through this again. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. And I relapsed, I think, about 15 months um, post-chemo and three more times down the line. Um, so yeah, it's it's anxiety is very intense. And I think with my disease pattern of me going through many months in a row of me having stable disease, no growth, um, and going back to living a normal life and then getting a bad scan result, it really throws you for a loop. Um, and that's something I've had to adapt to a lot. Like finally feeling like I'm back in this normal, healthy world. And then hearing that my cancer's back and having to switch into that mindset of the, I've got to fight this, you know, um, it's, it's hard for sure. Um, I, I think how I deal with it is firstly accepting that it's a thing that I can't change, but understanding that I have the power to try and cope with it the best I can. So usually like the week before I try to book my schedule as full as I can. I'm constantly with friends, constantly doing things, going for long drives, get treating myself to a coffee and just like overall taking care of myself. And then the day of, I always bring my AirPods and I'm just absolutely vibing in the waiting room. And I guess the rest of it's kind of out of my hands, um, which is really scary. Um, I think that's a big theme with cancer for anyone is that it's so unknown. Like you, you really just never know when or if something will get worse. So yeah, it's rough. <laughs> I honestly can't even imagine being in the patient's position. I, I know from a parental caregiver point of view, it is real and it is extremely tough. Um, but it sounds like you do a lot of self-care and have a lot of support from your friends like we talked about earlier to help you kind of get through it. Uh, would you say one of the biggest things, too, is to have a line of communication open with your oncology team, such as your social worker? I definitely work with my social worker and my oncologist. Um, I think keeping the line of communication open is so important um, because you can't treat cancer just as the disease. You really need to treat the whole person, like treat the mind, treat the body. Um, and it's so, just self-advocacy is so important, especially as I'm getting older. Um, I have to really speak up for myself and my needs. Um, so I definitely get a little extra support around scan times. And basically everyone knows that it's a hard time for me. So I completely agree. Treating the whole 
person is important. And we experienced that as well. Instead, because we had a young child, it was treating the whole family. But in, in terms of treating the whole person, what stands out to you the most? Um, definitely, like, the trauma that comes with cancer and having cancer kind of chronically over the defining years of my adolescence. Um, I definitely say that I struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder. I think that's relatively common for cancer patients, especially those that are going through prolonged treatment and many relapses like myself. Um, so definitely working through that um, is a topic of conversation. Um, yeah, and just learning how to cope with that. You're such a warrior and you're approaching this just so gracefully. I have so much admiration for you. I heard you bring up the word chronic and I know in a previous conversation we talked about how your condition is considered chronic cancer. What does that mean for you? And does it differ from the definition, the medical definition? Well, for me, chronic means that likely I'll have to deal with this for the rest of my life, meaning not even the top sarcoma doctors can say if a certain medication will be the cure or be the answer or if eventually maybe it'll all just stop and I'll stop relapsing. The reality is I really don't know. No one really knows. No one can predict. Um, and I've already dealt with this for eight years. I'd say that's a pretty long time. Um, definitely longer than I expected it to be. Um, so I guess chronic cancer just means that I have to prepare myself to be on a treatment long term and to have this be in my life pretty directly, not just a worry that it might come back or having long term effects like it'll be pretty much right in my face for a while. Hopefully not. But I think it's important to have hope and to trust in the doctors and trust in the medications that they're thinking of. And, um, but you just, you just can't really tell. Well, Camille, I have to say thank you so much for being so open, so honest and so vulnerable throughout this entire interview. I want to ask you, because we are wrapping up here if you could go back and tell your 10-year-old self or your relapsed first-time self something, what would you say? What would you want to hear? I think what 10-year-old, even 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, even now me needs to hear is that this is undeniably so challenging. Like, you can't prepare for this. No one can prepare for this. This is the last place I thought I would be in my childhood. Um, and 
it's a journey for sure. And you just need to keep going, like keep fighting no matter what. And to speak up when things are too hard, um, and really rely on your tribe, just as we were talking about kind of earlier, because you can't fight this alone. You really need to rely on people that can help you through this. Those are really powerful words, and I hope that they resonate within other people. I know that if I was back where I was in 20. Uh, 15, they would really help me. So thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate everything that you have discussed here with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Living with Scanxiety. Please subscribe to hear more informative discussions like today's. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. 